ransomware, the pay or don't pay question facing Australia's Medibank, and more layoffs in the security vendor space. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Anna Delaney. Should Australia's Medibank give in to extortionists, asks ISMG's executive editor, Jeremy Kirk. The answer, it turns out, is not a simple one. Should Australia's Medibank health insurer pay extortionists to prevent the release of sensitive medical claims documents related to millions of Australians? Medibank is in a no-win position. An extortion group says it stole 200 gigabytes of data, which the company says affects virtually its entire customer base of 4 million people. What should it do? Medibank could pay a ransom, and the records may not be destroyed and sold on the sly anyway. But paying could prevent a mass data dump that's easy for lots of bad people to access. Either way, it's the most severe cybercriminal incident in Australian history. With file encrypting ransomware, many top-shelf consultancies blithely couch paying ransoms to recover data as a cost of doing business. This supercharges more acts of ransomware and extortion. It's pure realpolitik, but a clinical, tone-deaf view of criminal acts. The official advice from the Australian government has been not to give cybercriminals money. The last few weeks have been rough in Australia on the data breach front, with back-to-back data breaches that have affected most of the country's population. There's a debate if Australia should outlaw paying ransoms. This is a bad idea for several reasons. It punishes cybercrime victims. It's difficult to enforce. Police should be fighting cybercriminals, not wasting time pursuing victims who paid. And finally, it will kill some businesses. Here's why the ransom question is so hard from a utilitarian perspective. Is it better for a small company to pay $800,000 in ransom in order to recover data and prevent the business from going bankrupt and having to lay off 60 employees? Yes, it is. But Medibank's situation is different. The fact the data is in the cybercriminal's hands isn't an operational impediment, which is why many organizations pay. Instead, it's digital hostage-taking. It's way worse than compromised driver's licenses, passports, and Medicare numbers that were exposed recently in a data breach affecting Optus, which is the country's second-largest telecommunications company. If we choose that Medibank should pay, what's the value of preventing a sudden dump of 200 gigabytes of sensitive data? It's high, but it's not infinite. The lack of trust and control over what cybercriminals will subsequently do means that outrageously high ransoms don't make sense. Is it better that Medibank pays to prevent a mass release of records, but accept that it's likely some of the data will be sold away quietly anyway? Perhaps. That may help avoid mass anxiety if the data is dumped on the internet. Another disadvantage of paying is that it usually invites more attacks from other groups. That means if Medibank doesn't get its IT security house in order quickly, it could find itself in the same position a few weeks down the road. And Australia has already had enough on its plate the last few weeks. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. 
Sneak, Veronis, and Cyber Reason add to the list of cybersecurity vendors who have decided to lay off a percentage of their staff. I caught up with our business editor, Michael Novenson, to explain the growing trend of redundancies in the tech world. Great to see you, Michael. So there have been a string of layoffs at big cybersecurity vendors this week, including Sneak and Cyber Reason. What do we know so far? Anna, thank you so much here for having me. We've been seeing a number of layoffs over the past two weeks. As vendors get their numbers in from the third quarter, either ending September 30th, if they're reporting publicly, or ending October 31st. And I think companies are having to reckon with slowing sales as well due to the economic downturn. So last week, we saw Sneak, who's in the application security space, as well as Cyberies, and who's in endpoint security. They both disclosed a second round of layoffs, both laying off approximately 10% of their workforce. They each had done layoffs over the summer. Sneaks was smaller. Cyber Reasons was also of a decent size over the summer. Then Forescout, who's in the IoT security space, that announced both the CEO change as well as a workforce reduction and undisclosed number of employees. Then this week, we've had two additional ones. Veronis, who's in the data security market, they're publicly traded. When they disclosed their earnings for the quarter ending September 30th, they had said that they're going to be reducing their headcount by about 5%, which would be just north of 200 workers. And then most recently, Checkmarks, who's also like Sneak in the application security market, they yesterday were uh, reportedly laid off uh, roughly 10% of their workforce, or about 100 employees. We had seen major layoffs in June and July as the economic downturn was becoming a reality. And now as companies are having to reckon with slowing sales stemming from rising interest rates, inflation, et cetera, we're seeing some companies go back to the well, like Sneak and Cyber Reason and do additional headcount reductions. And then we're seeing other companies that maybe avoided layoffs over the summer having to look at trimming their workforce to deal with the new reality. And Forescout is an interesting case. You see CEO Wael Mohammed has exited after being in the role for just over 18 months. In March 2021, just as a recap, he became Forescout's third CEO in six months. And his departure also, as you say, follows a round of layoffs at the company. But unlike Sneak and Cyber Reason, Forescout is not disclosing how many workers it has laid off. I welcome, Michael, your thoughts on this and any reasons as to why all the secrecy? It's a good question, Anna. I mean, I mean, I guess nobody really likes talking about their bad news. There's been a norm, particularly for the venture-backed firms in recent months, especially if they're larger layoffs that essentially they'll post the message, the CEO emailed to their employees, they'll post it on the company blog a little bit thereafter to try to give a sense of transparency. I think particularly when you're talking about cybersecurity, that there's a sense that companies should be transparent about what's going on. Nobody wants a security company that isn't trustworthy. So I think there's been a push from some of those venture-backed companies to try to be somewhat open about what's going on at their companies. Obviously, it's a CEO message. It's going to try to put the best possible face on it, but at least to be somewhat open. Forescout took a different tack. They also posted a blog that wasn't authored by anybody. It was just a pretty long description of what they've done over the past two years. And then at the very last paragraph, they make a reference to pursuing efficiencies, but never even use the word layoffs, don't disclose how many people it is. So it's a bit unusual. I mean, I think people are understanding that the economy really changed on a dime here and the companies are having to adjust. So it's a little surprising that they maybe perhaps weren't more open in terms of the CEO changes you had alluded to, this is going to be Forescout's fourth CEO since September of 2020, which is certainly not great from a stability standpoint. If you look at 
highly successful companies in any industry, the Fortinet and Checkpoints and CrowdStrikes of the world, they've had the same CEO for many, many years. They all actually have a founding CEO. So to have this many leadership changes in such a short period of time isn't great. They presented it almost as kind of a anticipated departure that the person who had stepped in by El Mohammed in March of 2021, perhaps he was thinking of it as a shorter term assignment. He was later in his career and he was just really helping to do a turnaround job. That was almost how they presented it, that he had completed phase one and then somebody else was going to take phase two. I mean, when when his appointment was announced, there were certainly no allusions to that. He was really presented as a permanent long-term fix for the CEO role. So I can't say necessarily how anticipated this was, but I know they are in the market for another CEO and hopefully for their sake, they'll find someone who sticks around a little bit longer. So Michael, what happened? Because Horskart earlier this year said in a blog post that it's on track to achieve 80% recurring revenue with both accelerating annual growth and profitability. So what went wrong? It's a fair question. When you're talking about data points, it gets hard when you're talking about companies that are privately held. Forescott went private in August of 2020. They were bought by Advent International for $1.45 billion. So the challenge with private companies is that whatever stats they have are cherry-picked. If you're publicly traded in the United States, you have to disclose a certain set of numbers as mandated by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. So investors and journalists and the rest of the community can see the whole picture. If you're privately traded, you can kind of just cherry-pick whichever numbers make you look the best, disclose those, and then say, oh, we're privately traded, we're not going to disclose anything else. It makes it really hard to evaluate the overall health of a private company because, for instance, they really haven't disclosed any numbers around profitability, net income either on a gap or non-gap basis since they've gone private. So we do know that the investment community is really prioritizing profitability right now. It's more opaque when you're talking about a private company. In terms of their market landscape, they've rebranded themselves a couple times in the past few years. They historically were IoT security. Then following the advent acquisition, they started calling themselves the enterprise of things or EOT, which I guess was meant to be broader than IoT. Now, more recently, they're they're calling themselves autonomous cybersecurity, which I know automation has become a hot topic in the industry with the idea of trying to figure out how to automate more of the prevention and detection tasks rather than just automating response and remediation. I mean, I imagine their functionality hasn't changed that much. I mean, their legacy technologies around network access control, they have a lot of competition there from Fortinet, who bought Bradford Networks. In the IoT OT space, you have newer companies, companies like Armis and Clarity and the Zomi Networks are also doing this, maybe working with slightly modern technology. So it's a tough market landscape that they face both in terms of big incumbents like Fortinet, as well as startups who may have slightly more modern architecture. So I don't know really if they're gaining market share, losing market share, how they stack up against the rest of the industry. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any strategic changes as a new CEO comes to the helm. And what next? Are we likely to see more layoffs at other cybersecurity vendors or have we reached a peak? It's a good question. Unfortunately, I'm not having a great feeling. I'd really had hoped that given all the cuts we saw in June and July, that that was everybody preparing for the downturn and we were going to be on firmer ground. But these past two weeks have just been very sobering. As we've started to see the publicly traded companies report their earnings for the quarter ended September 30th, that we're seeing companies lower their outlooks. We're seeing companies not beat their expectations for sales. So I would not be surprised, especially with some of these other public companies who miss their numbers if they disclose headcount cuts as part of their earnings announcement. I mean, it it sounds a little morbid, but investors are often happy to see headcount reductions because it signals that the company's trying to get cost under control, that they're focusing on profitability. So if a company's going to get walloped by investors because the numbers were bad, often they'll actually 
try to announce layoffs to soften the blow from investors a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see other companies there like Veronis, but it just seems like cybersecurity isn't immune to spending and buying patterns. If people are cutting back on spending, it does seem like it's affecting the cybersecurity sector at least a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's also harder to access money now with the rising interest rates. So if, if the sales are starting to decelerate, I unfortunately fear we may see over the next month or so additional companies making layoffs, whether they disclose them or not. Well, something to watch. And Michael, always appreciate your excellent analysis of the business news. Thank you. Of course. Thanks so much for the time, Anna. Next, we turn to ISNG's Matthew Schwartz. Matt, we've just heard the sad news that Vitaly Kremez, a threat intelligence expert living in the US who grew up in Belarus, has died after a suspected scuba diving accident. You've reported that there have been a number of tributes pouring in for him. Yes, it's a sad turn of events this week. Uh, Vitaly reportedly went scuba diving Sunday morning in Florida and was found dead on Wednesday after an extensive U.S. Coast Guard search and rescue effort. He was only 36. And we have the good fortune to have Vitaly not just be a source for our reporting, especially on cybercrime, but also to occasionally drop into the ISMD studio. Definitely. It was always fun getting to catch up with him. He had a passion for tracking cybercrime and the threat actors involved. At the RSA 2022 conference this year, back in June, I got to sit down with him to discuss also one of the biggest ransomware stories of the year, the Conti Group, which retired its brand name after its disastrous decision to publicly back Russia's February invasion of Ukraine. As we explored during the interview, Vitaly and his colleagues at Advanced Intelligence, or Advintel, which is a boutique threat intelligence firm he'd founded in New York City, were closely tracking the Conti Group's activities, including it having launched multiple new groups, including Quantum, Hive, and Black Cat, before the group's operators retired the Conti brand name. So one of Vitaly's skills was in tracking cybercrime gangs' operations, including the malware they were using. But another was really seeing the big picture. And so I asked him, these ransomware-wielding attackers that are making millions of dollars, some of them in annual revenue, do they ever decide they've made enough money? Do they ever try to go legit or maybe even just retire? And here was his response. It's a good question. Uh, generally, you know, I guess this lifestyle that they have, it affords lots of luxuries, especially specifically if you live like in Eastern Europe, you can afford uh, Lamborghinis, you can drive around the city and afford, they're like oligarchs, literally, they live the lifestyle of the richest of the riches. So it's hard to go back to this lifestyle where you have to work hard and just earn money the right way. So oftentimes it's like once they get hooked into this business, it's hard to get away. The only ways we've seen them get away from this business when the Russian intelligence or law enforcement agents have recruited them for their own operations. That's what happened with the, the creator of the Gozi, uh, Zeus malware, Slavic, who we all suspect and we all know that he works with the Russian intelligence and law enforcement agencies now. So some of the most successful ones became uh, forceful employees for Russian intelligence, basically. And that's the way out, basically. So I'd like to end with the funny aside, because Vitaly had a great sense of humor. Right before our interview at RSA in June, he had cut himself in the chin shaving. So there we are. He's dabbing away with the tissue, trying to get it to stop. Well, we've got the crew around desk, getting everything set up for the shot, getting his microphone on and all that. But he's getting blood all over his white shirt. So in the midst of this, we cook up a Jason Bourne type cover story. If anyone asked, he had suffered a flesh wound while battling cyber criminals in the streets of San Francisco to keep us all safe. So minus the fisticuffs, all true.
Indeed. Thanks for joining us for the ISNG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.